Welcome to the Creeperama Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Justin. And I'm James. And seeing as it's Christmas Eve, a holiday that features this weird stranger who just breaks into everyone's house at night, we thought it'd be a good idea to take you on a trip through one of the most well-known urban legends, the inspiration behind the legendary horror film Black Christmas, The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs. Wait, what? Who's breaking into my house? It was just a play on Santa, dude. Who the fuck is that? What? You fucking for real right now? Saint Nick? Old dude? Big beard? He's a saint, but he breaks into people's houses? How's that work? He's got magical reindeer, flies around the world every Christmas Eve. What? So he's a fucking wizard? I don't even know what to say right now. Neither the fuck do I! When's this dude supposed to get here? I gotta get ready! Come on, man. Like, you leave the cookies out for the guy. He usually just takes a bite out of one or two of them. He brings you presents. So this motherfucker doesn't even eat the entire cookie? Oh, I got a present for this guy. I'll be right fucking back. Motherfucker, I'm got a fucking present for your ass. Okay. God, son of a bitch. Dude? Where you at? Where'd you... Where you at? What the fuck are you doing, man? God, I'm gonna get this motherfucker. Shit. Creatures from the world of the undead. The most bizarre. Devil worship. Satanism, black magic, or witchcraft. Zodiac killer. All lights go out and the monsters are released from their coffins. Now, prepare yourself for the most gruesome and grotesque experience of them all. The Creeperama. Random thought. I was sitting at my desk last night, and you know, my desk faces my um, my window, mm-hmm. and across the street is my neighbor's house. And mm-hmm. this is like ten o'clock at night. I'm I'm writing, and right. I can look across the street, and I have no street lights, so my street is super fucking dark. And the right. only light that I see is my neighbor's Christmas lights and their front porch light, and I'm just staring at it out of the out of my peripherals. As I'm writing, and I'm like, that looks fucking terrifying. I don't know why. It's just the vibe. It's just creepy. Is it because we've been watching Christmas horror movies nonstop for the past month? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. But I, I don't understand. And it got me thinking, like, to me, and I'm sure a lot of people think this, but Christmas genuinely feels way more creepier than Halloween does to me. I think it might be because Christianity's a cult. <laughs> yeah, and they hijack the holiday. And it's a cult that really likes singing children. Yeah, like the scene in Black Christmas where uh, Margot Kidder's character is getting stabbed by the yeah. chess piece. And there's just a bunch of kids gleefully singing Christmas carols. They're not even glee. It's supposed to be. Maybe that's it. It's supposed to be gleeful, but they always look so depressed. Have you, uh, question, have you ever gone caroling? No. Here's a fucking crazy concept for anyone who knows me. I've been Christmas caroling multiple times as a kid. (laughs) What? I've I've known you since we were 15. I never knew that. Yeah, it's a deep, dark secret. I just don't bring it up. <laughs> How did this happen? Uh, I uh, I was abducted. No, no, that's that's too real. It's too real because there are people that have been abducted by Christians, and I just don't and forced to go caroling. I, the whole country. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
the yeah. whole country has been abducted by Christians. Uh, but uh, I was, it was, honestly, it was before I knew better. And mm-hmm. uh, we're about to get real serious for the beginning of an episode. Okay. Uh, I was trying to find myself. Uh-huh. We're trying to figure shit out. I was young, and uh, there was a, um, a Lutheran church that was like in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And you burned it down. No, that's not what I burnt down. Okay. Um, I I haven't I you know what I haven't burnt church and I'm honestly like <laughs> considering my history I feel like that's that's blasphemous almost right it's a missed opportunity yeah it is it's there were opportunities <laughs> right and they were missed um but uh, yeah there was just I don't know it, this isn't really like weird or creepy or anything mm-hmm. like there was no weird foul play at the place they were mm-hmm. all right. Pretty much all the neighborhood kids ended up hanging out at this at this Lutheran youth group. I still sort of believed in God because mm-hmm. I was like twelve or under. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll go for it. And then you know we went caroling, and it was a it was I fucking hated it. <laughs> I can <laughs> I imagine hated caroling. First off, that's not how I sing. <laughs> <laughs> We've been in a band together. You know that's not how I sing. Yeah, more so it was just. Fucking boring. I could imagine it's awkward as fuck because don't you just literally go from house to house? Yeah, you literally, they drove us to a different part of the town, so I guess we couldn't run away. Uh (laughs) There was no escape from caroling. (laughs) Uh, They drove us to a different part of town than we normally like hung out in, and then we just walked from house to house, and we'd stop in front of the house and sing a carol. And then I guess, I can't remember, it, it seems stupid to do it to every house because, yeah. like, they're next to each other. Yeah. So you know that that other house already heard us. Right. And, oh, and you're doing the same song? No, it was different, different songs, songs, I think. But also, I'm starting to remember that I think that they came out and gave money to the adults. That's what I was going to say. I'm starting to think that we were just getting pimped. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of the things I was I was thinking as you're telling the story is like, did these people come out and like give tips? And if yeah, so, who they got were like, the tips? "You guys suck. You're hitting the lows wrong." <laughs> <laughs> that's a B flat. You got to be a I don't know some some other right. note. But how awkward because yeah, if I were the person like four houses down, I would be instantly filled with anxiety because now I'm hearing this yeah. army of little weird kids, and and I could hear them in the distance. I would go to my breaker box and shut the whole house down <laughs> just so that way it totally looks like this house is now abandoned. Nobody lives here. Move on. Just move. Just leave. Just leave the neighborhood. Yeah. This is not for you. Uh, 100%. Uh, yeah. Uh, fuck caroling. Yeah. You know, when I was around the same age, I got dragged to Christmas mass every, every not every year, but enough. And I remember yeah. ending up somewhere at some local church because my parents were like, it's the one night of the year that we are actually Christians. And Hold on, let me, let me stop you right there. Christmas mass is the worst. Oh, it's terrible. It's it fucking is, awful. Dude, I, it's, yeah. it's like 15 days long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember as maybe like somewhere 10 to 12 years old, I remember looking around at everybody and like there's all these people crying while they're in prayer and i just remember the vibe 
being so heavy and dark and depressing. And like, Dude, it's so brutal. And it's the day, like, I get Easter Mass being brutal. That's the day that he's like tortured yeah. to death. Christmas yeah. Mass should be like happy or something. Yeah, this is supposedly the his birth of birthday. your supposed Lord. Like, yeah. This is the moment, like, why are we not, like, partying? Yeah. Uh, so, but I just distinctly remember looking around and, and asking myself, like, why is this so depressing? Why is this so, like, why is the music so, like, devoid of life? And then you realize that you're in church, and that's why. Yeah, exactly. And I don't mean, like, all Christmas songs are, are you know, depressing as fuck, but there's a lot of them that just feel... Ugh. Yeah, especially like the super religious ones. Like. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, when I now look at Christmas, I have those things in the back of my head, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the perfect night to go, like, like kill somebody. Not me yeah. kill somebody, but other people, like, bad shit to happen. What? That was, that was very, very defensive. Are you going to kill somebody tonight? Just going to keep, keep. Keep on keeping on. So, but then when I watch, <laughs> uh, but then when I watch Christmas horror movies uh, like Black Christmas, it just feel the vibe feels so much more heavy. Maybe I guess it's because of the religious overtones as compared to Halloween. That's my call. I like Christmas from an aesthetic point of view. I really love. Oh yeah, me too. The Christmas aesthetic. Um, I just hate everything else about Christmas. I love the pagan roots of it, like the trees and the, yeah. I like all the. Obviously, we like the weird shit like Krampus and yeah, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but the Welsh one where there's a. Have you heard about the Welsh one? I don't. Mar I don't know. There's so many consonants. I can't pronounce it. Oh yeah, but uh, it's uh, somebody in a horse skull comes to your house and you have to essentially rap battle them, or they can come in and take all your beer. What? Yeah, now that's a party. That's a fucking good time. Well, the original pagan festival, that was fucking wild. I mean, yeah, it's pagan. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going back to circling back around, like looking at my at my neighbor's house, I'm like, yeah, I could totally see that scene feels more like you're about to have a killer come into your home and massacre your whole family more so than I do when I look at Halloween direct or Honestly, decorations. That's that's I know that we're going to go into a lot more today than just Black Christmas, but yeah. That's that's one thing that I really love about the original Black Christmas is that opening scene is it's so simple. Mm -hmm. It's just a static shot of the house and it's there's Christmas decorations and then the logo and it's like it simultaneously gives you that feeling of Christmas and also just fucking dread. And and also it's got kids singing. Exactly. Maybe it's the it's probably just the just or the the juxtaposition between something that's supposed to be fun and cheerful and bright and oh no, this dude is going to invade your attic and slaughter you one by one. Yeah, which by the way, if you have a rose trellis, just get rid of that shit. Yeah. Yeah, it, we've seen enough movies. You know what's going to happen. It's just yeah. a matter of time. It's either it's either Billy from from Black Christmas or Skeet Ulrich, which you know what? Look, I if Skeet Ulrich climbed in my window, I'd be happy. I'm into it. I'm I'd into be it. happy. I'm into it. Skeet Ulrich is a good dude, good looking guy. Yeah, he was in Jericho. I love Jericho. But if his character, which I just realized, his character's name in Scream is Billy Loomis. Oh, that's right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Fuck it. Just tie yeah. everything together. Yeah. 
Man, but yeah, if Billy Loomis climbed in my window, I would beat the fuck out of him <laughs> because fuck him. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he did have he did nail that Skeet bad Ulrich, boy. Though. Skeet Ulrich. That's just that's all Skeet Ulrich. So that's all yeah, Skeet. Yeah, <laughs> that is all Skeet. I wonder if that. Yeah, I wonder whenever Little John put out that song, if Skeet Ulrich was like, God damn it. I wonder if when Little John wrote that song, he was specifically. Thinking of Skeet Ulrich. That's a good point. Ah, uh, Skeet, 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 and all. And Skeet Ulrich is at home, and he's like, "I know, I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're I'm welcome." Good-looking guy. He is. He still looks like he's only twenty. I get him and Scoot uh, Mc. I can't remember Scoot, his last name. Scoot McNeary. Yeah, yeah. I love I that guy. I love Scoot McNeary. Yeah, Fuck love yeah. that guy. Scoot and Skeet. Scoot and Skeet. <laughs> That's what they used to call that's me good. in college. That's no, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not. I I took college on the computer. So if anybody called me that in college, it was the professors, and I should probably probably contact HR. <laughs> you were expelled. I was expelled. Yeah, yeah, you were. You were. Scoot and skeet. That's either a serial killer or just a buddy cop movie waiting to happen. Scoot and skeet. All right, we're shooting. We're writing scoot and skeet. It's never getting made. So tonight, in case you guys haven't noticed, uh, we are diving into all things Christmas since it's Christmas Eve. Sort of all things Christmas, but it's our version of all things Christmas. Yeah, which there's, is there's a lot more to it, which involves murder and all yeah. kinds of fun things. So tonight, since it's Christmas Eve, we wanted to make sure that we delivered something that felt appropriate for the occasion. Yeah, not in that fun, happy, Christmassy type of way. Nah, this is more of that, like, uh, there's a killer lurking in your fucking attic, sweet dreams kind of way. So we'll be exploring the origins of the urban legend, The Babysitter and the Man Upstairs, which originated sometime in the 1950s or 60s. It's the main inspiration behind the films such as Black Christmas, When the Stranger Calls, Scream, and just about every other, oh shit, this babysitter's about to die story that you can think of. It's basically a teenage girl is babysitting at night while the children are asleep upstairs. Creeper, I'm a pro tip. If you're listening to this and have children asleep upstairs, now's the time to go check on them. Or if you just have an attic, because chances are there's someone living in that too. Do you have an attic? I, I do. I have an attic, but I've never been up there. No, but th- th- remember when that fucking, when it just opened? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, we never did figure out what the fuck made that happen. No, because I never went up there. Maybe there's a dude still living up there three years later. Well, if he's still living up there three years later, then he's dead. Good point. Good point. So at some point, the phone rings. When the babysitter answers, on the line is a low, hushed voice that simply says, Yeah, let me get a large stick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni, mushrooms, onions, sausage, green peppers, pineapple, black olives, but uh, no anchovies. I mean, no anchovies. Well, now I successfully want pizza. Thanks. To be fair, we always want pizza. Yeah, that's a valid point. So this poor, unsuspecting babysitter answers the phone, and the caller says in a low, hushed voice, Check the children. That's creepy. Good job. Now, it's at this point that if I were a teenage girl, I would be out of the fucking house. Like the end of Black Christmas, except you're the cops that just (laughs) randomly decided to just fucking leave? What? (laughs) The end of that movie. Just, just... Just just let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah, we'll circle back around to that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, fuck your house. I am a 17-year-old girl who's just trying to get into college and find a stand-up guy. Point is, I do not have time for this shit. But this babysitter does not share this same mindset. Instead, this babysitter dismisses the question and goes right back to watching television. 
you got to remember, television in the 1950s was fucking riveting. Have you ever watched <laughs> Nick at Night? <laughs> so this back and forth between this caller and the babysitter continues a few more times to the point where the babysitter finally starts to get creeped out enough to where she calls the police. When she does, the police inform her that they'll be tracing the phone call, but she's got to stay on the line long enough to get them to do so. So once the stranger calls again, the babysitter tries to have a conversation. This ends up working, and after the killer hangs up, the police promptly calls the babysitter back and utters the dreadful and terrifying phrase, You, uh, you got any crazy bit over the pal? <laughs> no, no, sorry, I'm just hungry. He actually says, Get out of the house! The calls are coming from inside the house! Cue all the creepy music and the intense, like, violins and... <laughs> so the story ends with the reveal that the caller has been upstairs the entire time and has murdered however many children there are, and now he's coming right after you. Genuinely fucking terrifying. We'll pause here for listeners to, again, go check on your children. Yeah, I wonder how many people just had a home invasion. Just had a home invasion? Yeah, just had a home invasion right between that. Oh, come on. I bet it's, I bet it's at least 50. I hope they're not our listeners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, now needless to say, this urban legend has gone on to inspire a number of films. The first being the 1971 short film Foster's Release, directed by Terry Winkless, the co-writer of The Howling. I tried to track a copy of this movie Foster's Release down, which also goes by the title Judson's Release, but it seems pretty impossible to find. But what I did end up stumbling on was a documentary put together in 2014 titled Shock Me, The Movie how Dan O'Bannon and some outsiders helped invent modern horror. So this documentary features five short films from 1968 to 1971 that were made by students of the School of Cinematic Arts in L.A., one of whom was John Carpenter. Ooh. It basically showcases how a group of students that later went on to become legendary writers and directors of horror first started developing their ideas, which is pretty cool because it shows the groundwork for where the entire horror genre would eventually shift to by the late 70s. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Can we buy it somewhere? No, no. All I could find was that it was shown around in theaters in 2015, but it was never officially released anywhere, so I couldn't find a place to watch it. Motherfucker. Yeah. Other films that this urban legend would go on to inspire were The Sitter, which is the original 1977 short film directed by Fred Walton, who two years later would go on to release When a Stranger Calls, which is basically just a retelling of the myth during the first scene of the film. And after that 30-minute segment is finished, turns into a completely different movie. <laughs> so fucking frustrating. I was all excited to watch Carol Kane have to fight a serial killer for an hour and a half, and instead it's not fucking at that at all. <laughs> that t I think that happened a lot with 1970s movies. Yeah, it really did, man. Yeah, like werewolf on wheels. Most of the time, it is just regular people on wheels. There's very little of werewolves actually being on wheels. Maybe that's because werewolves, contrary to popular belief, cannot operate motor vehicles, Justin. Dude, don't put them in a box like that. They can do whatever they want. Look, I, lo I love werewolves on wheels, but... It, it, have you, I, the climactic the fight is the, riveting. The, I mean, and there's such good satanic cult stuff in it. It, was, it really is. Watch werewolves on yeah, wheels, but yeah. recognize that there's very little <laughs> werewolves in it. Yeah. But I also, I also understand it because... Motorcycles, werewolf fur, spokes, it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you're going to have an accident. Honestly, I watch Werewolves on Wheels just for the satanic cult stuff. Yeah, those, those scenes are pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so Walton went on to make a TV movie sequel in 1993 called When a Stranger Calls Back. How do you even make a sequel to it? I, I guess the dude just got a new phone plan. It is the 90s. 
so maybe he I, I don't know. Uh, there's also the remake of When a Stranger Calls and then When a, when a Killer Calls and one of the segments of a 2008 anthology film called Amusement, which I've never watched. Wow, I, I think I hate phones now. I mean, I have social anxiety, so I already hate phones, but now I hate the very concept of phones. Yeah, that you know, that actually brings up a good point. Uh, things like this can't happen anymore that we pretty much don't have landlines. Uh, like, I remember when I was like 13 or 14, like, prank calling was such a big thing. Yeah, yes. I, 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 I'm very aware of your, of your prolific torture of, of teachers. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, there was one time where uh, it, this was right after Christmas, in between Christmas and New Year's, where I think we were in eighth grade. Me and three other friends started to call people at, like, five in the morning, and we would we were pretending to be popular radio DJ hosts on, on a local <laughs> channel and who had a morning show. And our whole speech was we were taking questions about what people's opinions were about whether or not we should keep up our Christmas lights after the new year. I, I don't this know is why. The most innocent <laughs> prank call I've ever heard you, of. Yes. However, because it was so simple and innocent, so many people were beyond confused because most prank calls are not like that. When was this? Uh, like 90, like what? 1998. No, no, no. What what month? Oh, I said, like I said, it was between Christmas and New Year's. Wait, so it's, it's not even, you're yeah. just doing a phone survey. Right. So, but we told everybody that they were live on the air and it was five <laughs> in the morning. So, so many people got fucking lit. Like they lost it. They lost it at us. <laughs> and then the the more angry that they would get, the more I would be like, sir, you are on the air. You can't use that kind of language. <laughs> <laughs> and they would be like, I don't give a fuck. Like, how dare you call me this early in the morning? And I was like, and, and, and it just escalated from there and there and there. So you should have just been a DJ. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we would in sixth grade, we used to call my history teacher in like the middle of the night <laughs> and we would play all kinds of clips and i remember we ate up the tape on his answering machine to the point oh, rem- yeah. <laughs> to the point when you we called back again his answering machine was one of the recordings that we left <laughs> i don't know how that happened but we were that like- just happened yeah there was a weird thing with those tapes is that if you ate the whole thing up then it just started re-recording over itself i, I guess but real weird. yeah so but yeah you so you can't do these things anymore because everybody has a cell phone so that kind of yeah in voicemail i don't even check my voice I, yeah i just send you straight to it and then if you leave a voicemail i literally just delete it i don't listen yeah. to it <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, what makes this whole urban legend a bit more horrific is the fact that it's somewhat based on true events. Because of course it is. America has always had that odd, sadistic obsession with killing babysitters. They really have. So on the night of March 18th, 1950, 13-year-old Jeanette Christman of Columbia, Missouri, was found sexually assaulted and strangled in the home where she was babysitting. She had her skull crushed in by something similar to a lead pipe. She had numerous small wounds on her head as well. And the killer had cut a nearby ironing cord with a pair of scissors, which had been wrapped around her throat. Holy shit, you're not fucking around. Uh, it gets way worse. At 11 oh, p.m. that good. night, yeah, at 11 p.m. that night, the police received a call from a young girl, but were unable to trace it due to the test board not being staffed that late at night. Yeah, this is 1950s, so we're most likely talking literally a person sitting at a big board with wires they have to actively plug in and out to connect calls. 
Yeah, you know what? That actually brings up a question. So in the scene in Black Christmas, when the detective is trying to trace where Billy's calls are coming from, there is a third guy, which I'm guessing works at a phone company, and it shows him literally running through what looks like a modern-day like server warehouse room place. So I didn't look into it, but I found myself every time I watched that movie being like, what the fuck is he actually doing? I can actually sort of explain that, I uh-huh. think. Now, I am not a phone, a 1970s phone bank You're expert. Not? No, I'm sorry. Uh, this I... is a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm, all right, I'll go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Paid you good money. <laughs> Why was I hired as the 1970s phone bank consultant? I was born in 85. But <laughs> Okay, so from what I gather is actually you're pretty close. It, it is kind of, it's a server place for phones mm-hmm. where, okay, so I just said a uh, person at the at the board Right, man- manually plugging in phones. So my guess is because if as you're as you're watching the scene, you can hear all the like. Right. I think that it's huge banks of mm-hmm. phones. It's probably probably by like block or something like like oh, neighborhood yeah. block or something. And then each one of those maybe is it's a machine doing the plugging and unplugging. Yeah. And then eventually they just switched over to computers and then right you know, it's it all does fucking it. whatever yeah. But uh, so anyway, so the policeman who answered the phone call that night when Jeanette was being attacked said that the girl on the other end was too excited and he couldn't understand her aside from the words come quick. He said, quote, I urged her to calm down and just tell me where she was. Then there was silence, not the sound of a receiver being hung up, just silence. Fuck off. That's that's so fucked. (laughs) Yeah. Jeanette's murder appeared to be connected to a string of five attacks in the same area, which spanned over a four-year period, the first being Mary Lou Jenkins, which occurred in 1946. Similar to Jeanette, Mary Lou was strangled with an extension cord in the living room of her parents' home. Jump a few years forward to October in 1949, four months before Jeanette was killed, a 16-year-old babysitter was attacked on Halloween night by a man wearing a white bag over his head with holes cut out for the eyes. Well, that sounds familiar. Oh, just wait. A few weeks later, an 18-year-old girl was attacked, again, by a man with a white bag over his head, but she was able to fight off the guy and survive. The very next night, a college couple were at a well-known lover's lane spot by a place called Hinkson Creek when a man with a white hood appeared and pulled out a gun and ordered them out of the car. He proceeded to rob the couple, tie up the boyfriend, and instructed the woman to start walking. He then assaulted her and then eventually fled the scene. Okay, stop. Hold the fuck on. You're telling me that just a few years later, eight hours away from Texarkana, there was a string of unsolved murders and attacks with almost the exact same M.O. as the Phantom Killer murders that the town that dreaded sundown was based on. Yeah, especially the one with the couple. It's basically the exact same as the first Phantom Killer attack, only he was stopped by a car approaching. So all four of the individual babysitter attacks were within two blocks from each other. So clearly there was some serial rapist slash killer in the immediate area. The search for the attacker for all of these cases ultimately proved to be unsuccessful and the cases remain unsolved. Of course it's unsolved. It's the fucking Phantom Killer. Yeah, exactly. Now, it shouldn't be that surprising to learn that the cops completely fucked up this investigation, beginning with the first murder of Mary Lou Jenkins in 1946. Shocker. (laughs) Due to Mary Lou's murder occurring outside of the city, 
There were issues between the city police and the county sheriff's department over which police force had jurisdiction to cover the case. And on top of the two agencies beefing, the cops pretty much did what they always did. Round up a fuck ton of random people, bring them into custody, and just beat the living shit out of them for trying to get a confession? Bingo. One guy, a college student, erroneously confessed to the crime, but did so just to stop from being assaulted by police. So basically just like the West Memphis Three. Good to see that literally nothing has changed in 60 years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it even got to the point where the police were deputizing citizens who formed mobs that would literally roam around and chase everyone they didn't immediately recognize, leading to one instance where the chief of police himself just started shooting at a guy for walking down the road. The police started to piece it together that they fucked up when the attacks began again on Halloween in 1949, this being after they had already penned Mary Lou's murder on a man by the name of Floyd Cochran, who was tried, convicted, and put to death in 1947. I'm almost surprised they didn't just try saying it was his fucking ghost or some other stupid as fuck explanation as to why they definitely hadn't fucked up and just <laughs> killed an innocent man. Right. Now, the problem is, is Floyd was a mentally challenged black man with the mental capacity of a 10-year-old. Police said Floyd confessed after a two-day straight interrogation without an attorney present. On the day he was arrested, Floyd had trouble remembering his own name, but according to police, he was somehow able to take them back to Mary Lou's home and reenact the entire crime in detail. Even the prosecutor who convicted Floyd would later go on to say he had second thoughts, no fucking shit, and in 1953 conducted his own investigation after the death of Janet Chrisman since he believed the murders to be related. Feels like that's multiple dead people too late, but okay. Yeah. On the night of Mary Lou's murder in 1946, she was home alone due to her mother working an overnight nursing gig just a few houses away. Her mother could even see their home from the house she was staying the night in. What's weird about this one is that when the mom returned home the next morning, all the doors inside the house were locked from the inside. So she had to end up breaking the side window in order to get in the home. So the killer probably had a key or knew where to obtain one, or maybe it was somebody that they knew and had spent time with. I don't know. Isn't it fucking always? Uh, yeah, exactly. Within 10 days, police had rounded up 20 black youths and questioned them for hours. The entire local black community there ultimately had to gather up groups of their own kids and send them out of town to farming communities owned by relatives in order to protect them from being falsely accused. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking Missouri. Chill. Yeah. Police ended up picking Floyd because during a mental breakdown, he had shot his wife and then wandered into an intersection, which just so happened to be only a half a mile away from Mary Lou's home. And then he tried to kill himself. So he just seemed like an easy target to police. During Floyd's trial, his grandfather tested that the night of Mary Lou's murder, they were at home watching television. Neighbors also corroborated this, but the all-white jury, of course, believed the officers and quickly sentenced Floyd to die. It also didn't help that the prosecutor placed Mary Lou's sobbing mother in a chair directly next to the jury the entire trial just for extra added effect. <laughs> yeah. Hell, man. yeah. So Floyd couldn't have been the one to carry out these attacks because A, fucking duh, and B, he was already put to death when the next four crimes started to take place. But since the police are fucking geniuses, Truly brilliant. Yeah, when the second attack took place just a few years later, instead of learning from their mistakes and going about this the correct way, the police just repeated the same process as before. And that's when they arrested Jake Bradford, another black man. Is this where you tell me how the cops fucked this up again? On December 4th, 1949, Jake was caught in the act of looking through the window of a woman's home, which is sketch. I'm Very not sketch. going. Not I'm, cool. Yeah. I'm not going to say that that's not sketch behavior because it fucking is. Don't do that. Jake, you got to chill. Yeah, you fucked up, Jake. 
Now, he later confessed to the two assaults of the babysitters. However, police used the exact same type of interrogation techniques used to get the quote-unquote confession out of Floyd. Wonderful. It's worked so well for them thus far. <laughs> yeah, let's see where it goes. Which means that it's highly unlikely that Jake's confession is even real. Besides, the reports of prowlers and attacks didn't stop after Jake was arrested because in March, just three months later, the Janet Crispin murder happens. So obviously Jake was not the guy since he was already in police custody at the time. He was eventually convicted of the two attacks, but it was later overturned. That's the first sort of good news in this entire story. Yeah, as long as he doesn't... <laughs> As long, yeah, as long as he doesn't start going and looking through other women's windows. Yeah, man, go, go get a fucking porn mag, bro. Yeah, yeah. So even though all five attacks went unsolved, there was one guy the police ended up letting go, and that was 27-year-old World War II vet Robert Mueller. He fucking did it! <laughs> Rob was high school friends with Ed Romack, the father of the three-year-old that Jeanette was babysitting the night she was murdered. Oh, wow. I was just joking at first. All right. You have my attention. <laughs> so after the war, Robert returned to Columbia, Missouri and took over his father's restaurant and also worked as a tailor. When Rob and Ed reacquainted, they began spending a lot of time together. After Jeanette's murder, Ed began to suspect Rob's involvement. He told the police later that Rob had an eye for young virgin girls and expressed the desire to one day, quote, defile someone young. He definitely fucking did it. Uh, yeah. Uh, he also knew Jeanette since she babysat for him on numerous occasions. And Ed recalled hearing Rob make a number of comments about her being well-developed for her age. Rob also made comments about Ed's wife, Anne. Why the fuck are you friends with this guy? Yeah, I'll never understand why dudes just brush that shit off. So Anne reported to police that she felt uncomfortable with Rob around due to his uninvited sexual advances. For example... The day before Jeanette's murder, Rob had been over at their home helping Anne him address, and she claimed he tried to grope her. Anne described Rob as the type of man who, quote, doesn't use words, he uses his hands. Shit gets super weird when the morning of Jeanette's death, Robert contacted Jeanette to ask if she would babysit his kids that night, to which Jeanette declined because she had already made arrangements to babysit for Ed and Anne Romack. So that means Rob obviously knew where Jeanette would be. Right, exactly. So that night, Rob attends the same card game that the Romax were at. But hours into the party, Rob excuses himself, claiming he had to meet a doctor and that was meant to tend to his son. Rob disappears for several hours before then returning to the party. This motherfucker unequivocally did it! Yeah. The police later questioned Robert's doctor and found out that the two never actually met that evening. Well, yeah, obviously he was too busy fucking murdering a babysitter. How's he going to fit in a visit to the doctor, Justin? <laughs> so the following morning after Jeanette's murder, Ed receives a call from Rob, who asked if he needed any help, quote, cleaning up the mess throughout his house. Something Rob couldn't have known since the crime hadn't been reported in the newspaper yet. He's Ed also psychic. Yeah. Ed later claimed that Rob would speak to him about the attack sometime later and would repeatedly go on about how he thought the crime took place claiming that breaking a window to enter the house would be too loud, and instead it would have been easier to just knock on the door and tell Jeanette that, quote, Ed sent me there to get more poker chips. Hold hold, hold on. Uh-huh. Level with me. Is this O.J. Simpson? Exactly. It's the same type of shit as whenever O.J. wrote that book. I think it was called... Um, uh, how if, I Would Have uh, Done It. Yeah, How I Would Have Done It. Yeah. It's obviously he can't shut up. He can't not think yeah. about it. So he yeah. has to... He can't keep it in a closet. Can't lock it away. Which, as we know, that's what killers do. It feels like just don't kill people. Yeah, exactly. Just get fucking help. Yeah. 
So one last thing was that since Rob was a tailor, he always carried with him a certain type of mechanical pencil, which happened to match the size of the small holes found in Jeanette's head. What? <laughs> yeah. A few months later, in May of that year, all of this was compiled and Anne and Ed Romack went to the police. Rob was then visited by several deputies who, instead of taking him to the police station to properly interview him, they took him to a farmhouse belonging to a deputy outside of the city limits to, quote, avoid publicity, and they questioned him throughout the night. So there's no record of the interrogation anywhere. The next day, he was taken to a nearby city for a polygraph test, which he passed. So given he passed the lie detector test, the detectives let him go. But a local judge felt compelled to arrange a grand jury to investigate Robert Moore. This failed, though, as the jury became more focused on the incompetence of the police force instead of the evidence against Robert, and they let him fucking go. Uh, look, I want to say that's ridiculous, but also, while that's fucking truly unfortunate, clearly there weren't, they weren't necessarily fucking wrong. Right. And according to a local woman who was actively involved in town politics at the time, she claimed that, quote, everybody knows the jury was bought and paid for. Honestly, even if they weren't, the cops had already fucked it up so hard that there was zero chance it would have ever worked out with a conviction. Yeah. Uh, so three years later in 1953, Robert decided to sue the sheriff and the two deputies. I searched around and was able to find the lawsuit documents, and in them they were, they were the statements made to police by Ed Romack. One of them claimed that Robert, quote, suggested to me that we go to a parking and picnic area for students known as Hickson Creek and, quote, get a nice young girl. And remember, Hickson Creek is the location of the Lover's Lane attack mentioned earlier, the one that's extremely similar to the Phantom Killer attack. So to me, even though all of that evidence is, I know, circumstantial, it seems pretty fucking obvious to me that this robber guy was behind all of this shit. And soon after he was released from police custody, the Korean War began, which Robert then joined the Air Force and went to fight in. So that's likely why the attacks just stopped. I'm also seriously starting to believe that this dickhead may very well have been the fucking Phantom Killer, man. Yeah, and I, I I, spent hours yesterday trying to find out whether or not this dude had a connection to anything in Texas. And then I ended up finding a website that had his gravesite. And in one of the facts about him was that in 1945, he married his wife in Texas. So... I perhaps they had family around Texas or something. I'm, I'm not sure. So this string of five attacks ultimately went on to create and fuel the legend that became known as the babysitter and the man upstairs, even though there was never really a killer actually upstairs in the house. That we fucking know of. <laughs> yeah. When you trace back the origins of things like this, it's pretty obvious where filmmakers like Carpenter or O'Bannon or Bob Clark or Craven, or yeah, any or of Toby them. Hooper, or yeah. any of those dudes that were coming into their own in the late '60s into the '70s, uh, you can really see where they ended up getting their inspiration from, even if they didn't know like these cases specifically. But the myth of like I've always been scared of the idea of somebody lurking in my fucking attic. It's like it, it's literally as if it's ingrained into your psyche. So, yeah, I mean, wasn't there that one story? It's a, I don't even know if it's real. It may have also been an urban legend, but I remember a few years ago uh, where they just found somebody living in their attic. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that it happened in Florida. At least I say that I know. But Of I course it did. Yeah. I distinctly remember several stories, maybe about 20 years ago, pop up of like little kids 
seeing some guy throughout the night and befriending them. Fuck that. Yeah. And then later on, the kid makes a comment to the parents, and then they find out that there's a dude living in the attic. Look, I got to be honest, man. Like, I know that I, I don't love people now, but even as a kid, if I saw... Some random ass motherfucker. I'd yeah. be screaming stranger danger. Yeah. Creeperama pro tip. Just don't have fucking kids. Just they will get you yeah. killed. Yeah. They will get you killed. Kids will get at least get themselves killed. Yeah. Or probably get you killed. But you know what? Like I say those stories of knowing that I, I distinctly remember reading articles about that stuff happening and then finding people or a guy or whatever living in their attic. But I have to also second guess myself of, of like, did I read that or am I just filling in that story just because I've heard that urban legend for so long? Like, yeah. it's, it's obviously ha- it's had to have happened. I, I, I know that it's happened. I've read an article about it. However, I question. Did you, how but, but have you actually but hold on? Have you actually read an article about it? Exactly. Now I'm starting to second guess my own memory. So, like, mm. uh, th- that's a good example of like. Yeah, that's exactly how urban legends and myths and yeah. stuff fucking evolve. Yeah, so it, it just makes sense that these ideas just happen to organically find their way into film because those filmmakers like John Carpenter and Bob Clark eventually just decided to focus on these really fucked up thought patterns that have just become ingrained into like our cultural psychology, essentially. Yeah, look at Craven with, with Nightmare. Like yeah, with Freddy. Like that's not he 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 read a fucking story in the newspaper about a guy killing kids. Yeah, and that was it. And that and was it. also it's like he takes the most vulnerable time that you are in. Yeah, when you're sleeping, and weaves it into this fucking utterly terrifying story. Like I remember when I was a kid, I was not scared to to like dream until I watched Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh yeah. Like it it's fucked probably, me up. It's probably why I have a fucked case of insomnia. <laughs> yeah. See, mine was mine was all mine will always go back to Halloween four. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. when Mike. When, yeah, I was five. Like when Michael grabs her from underneath the bed. Game over. But like going back to Black Christmas, I saw that movie later in life. I didn't get yeah. to see it when I was a kid. No. Well, I don't think. I think it was like like lost for a while, wasn't it? I think. Like, I mean, I know I have the the original VHS, and that came out in, I want to say, 86. But, right. But I think then... Yeah, because I, uh, I know it did terrible in the U.S. It did not... Yeah. It, it did great in Canada, just because it was a Canadian film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, like, just, I, like, I like a Joe Bob where he points out that, like, most Canadian films try so hard to convince you that it's in America. Right. And then I really did notice, like, there really are just tiny little American flags everywhere in that movie. Fucking everywhere. And it's like, why? Yeah. Uh, and like, Although, you know what? Living in America, I kind of get that. But I also think that Black Christmas suffers from the same thing that other films of that era that kind of did things differently like the thing i mean i know people did like the thing because of the special effects that were just too much for a lot of people but the that is literally the only reason that they didn't like the thing well there were also other uh reviews and other people trashed it just because of the bleak tone of the film right but which is bizarre to me my so i i really love 
the original Black Christmas. Uh, I love the vibe of it. I love the look of it. I mm-hmm. love, I, I I like all the actors and well, I like most of the actors. Yeah, <laughs> I like all the actresses in it. They do great, uh, but it's also, I think it loses focus too much, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it didn't do quite as well as some of the others. Yeah, probably. I also feel like because Bob Clark made the the film the way he did, like you only get little clues to where Billy is before the yeah. film starts. It's not very clear. Uh, you have to piece together the his own backstory on your own, and even then, you can't really piece it together very well. Yeah, his his cinematic communication isn't the best. Yeah, but to me, that's why I like it. Yeah, just because like I know that I know a lot of people hate the ending because there's no resolution. Like, I, he, I am one of those people, <laughs> right? But mainly, I don't hate that there's no resolution. I hate why there's no resolution because everybody j- they. It's the forced logic of it, of where right. literally the only reason that it works is because the cops just leave. the entire fuck, not just the cops, her <laughs> friends leave. The dad like randomly goes into shock all of a sudden. Yeah, he's got a faint. He's got a faint. Yeah, he's, he just he's has old. to. And he's then old. all the cops leave. The hockey guy who is so helpful left. Everybody just is. <laughs> it's, and it's almost on. It's. I mean, it is on cue. It's a movie, but right. like. It, in the movie, it's like, all right, well, we all got to leave now. <laughs> You're right. on your own, babe. <laughs> Bye. And then it's just one dude hanging outside and like, you're like, why isn't he going in? Yeah. The phone's ringing. <laughs> the phone is ringing. He yeah. makes no effort. Right. Uh, speaking of the phone ringing, that's, you know me and my phobia against in credits. But yes. <laughs> which don't ask. I I don't know where it comes from. I just hate. I hate credits. I, we have to explain this because I don't look. I have never in my life met anyone else. I honestly feel bad that we're discussing this. <laughs> it's but, okay. I can take it. Okay, you are genuinely have a phobia against end credits, like. Marvel movies are an issue for you. <laughs> they really are. Yeah, I I don't like them. I think because we have to because you have to sit and, and deal with some credits to get the stingers. Yeah, and then the end stinger, and it's like I you like tense up. It's yeah. so yeah, it's really bizarre. I've never understood. I've been like that ever since I was a little kid. Yeah, where does that come from? I, the most, I, I you know what? If I really stop and analyze it, which I have, I <laughs> genuinely, I genuinely think it has something to do. With me being a kid, and I remember like empty movie theaters used to creep me out. And See, I, remember, I like empty movie theaters. I prefer them actually. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, they used to creep me out. So right. I think at some point I made a psychological connection between, and I'm talking about like five years old, young. Yeah. And where I remember watching end credits in the movie theater as a kid, and the movie theater would empty out. And I would get freaked out because empty movie theaters freaked me out. So I mm-hmm. think that there's some type of thing there where it just triggers a weird, like, empty feeling. And and it, it just creeps me out. I don't know why. Huh. Yeah, it's very strange. Let us know. if is I, I'm genuinely curious as to if there's anyone else that 
has this because I've never I've never yeah. heard of this. Yeah, because I feel I've like never... an asshole because I don't ever get to like show respects to the people who make these movies. I'm always like, get the fuck out of the way. At the end of Mandalorian, which I'm not going to no spoilers, right? No spoilers. But at the end of Mandalorian, <laughs> the last the the season two finale, there's an after credit scene, and I was like, oh man, did you see that? And you were like, no. And I was like, bro, go. <laughs> and you were like, all right, I'll go start it back up. Because every single episode that I watch still is saying that there's two minutes remaining because I cut it off before the credits. Yeah. But I, I don't know. But anyway, going back to the Black Christmas, or the credit scene where that telephone, it just rings and rings and rings. Oh, God, that had to be a fucking nightmare for you. Well, I can look past it because it's so fucking the, cool. Because technically the movie's still going. Yeah, exactly. To me, like, it's such a good fucking ending because you're left with this like feeling of fuck nobody got away yeah so that's what i was just gonna bring up because from what i understand which i as i said his bob clark's cinematic communication is not my favorite we'll just we'll put it we'll leave it at that (laughs) (laughs) um but from what i've gathered is that billy kills and then he makes a phone call I'm not right. going to dig into it too far because it just gets we'll well, get into the I weeds mean, on it. Maybe, maybe, you know, let's go down that path because at the okay. beginning of the movie, um, when Jess answers the first phone call, right, she tells everybody to be quiet in the background, to be quiet, and she goes, it's that guy, it's the moaner again. Right. So he's obviously called this house numerous times. Yeah, which makes me wonder- how many time? How long has he been calling the house? Right. Because then, what I was gonna say is the the what I understand is that he calls after he kills after he does a kill. Right. Which he just got done killing the thirteen year old girl that's in the park that they okay. find the body of later. It's gotta right. be. It's gotta be. If this that town ha- has I mean, more has than one cr- killer on Christmas, they fucked up. I mean, it's a big city. Okay, yeah, but no, it's, is it? It's quote unquote not Montreal, <laughs> right? Right. So hopefully, there's not more than one serial killer going around killing people on Christmas in this movie. But that's what I that's what I gathered is that he killed the 13 year old girl in the park and just cruised along to their house. And so who else? Who else has he been killing? I we don't know. That's why I like it. You only get it's like the movie comes in at the middle of a story. That has no beginning. I hate, has no I hate movies like that. <laughs> Honestly, giving it that context makes me not like the movie as much. <laughs> so the end of the movie is that supposedly, although I don't, I just don't want this to be true because I like Jess and I think that she's a good final girl. So the concept is that he killed Jess and now mm-hmm. he's calling, but yeah. he knows there's nobody else in the house. Why is he calling? Well, I mean, he's crazy. He's crazy. Billy's obviously fucking nuts. So maybe, I mean, it doesn't have to make sense. I know that's not the answer that you wanted. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. It's not. But I mean, at least in- I get, the, I get what you're saying. I get, yeah, I, yeah. I get it. But I, I mean, at least uh, in the remake of Black Christmas, they gave you almost far too much story it's about too, Billy. It's, it's too much. Yeah. I genuinely want to know what Agnes's- workout routine was because she's fucking jacked in that movie p90x (laughs) (laughs) no p90x gets you shredded agnes is like a fucking bodybuilder she's deadlifting 
like I don't know how she's in the attic just constantly deadlifting. Now I just ha- I have this fucking Im- this image in my head of all the like the sorority girls that are like hanging out in the house. You just hear. <laughs> It's the fucking her doing the weights and she's, you know, she's jacked. So she's fucking hitting them. So they're like clicking and shit. She's just fucking. And then you hear gong. It's the fucking she's dropping the weights and shit. And none of them ever go to check it out. None of the. It's just. It's hey, you know, whatever. Yeah. But the last 30 minutes of the Black Christmas remake. Like it's really ridiculous. But also in a cool way. Parts like, of it in a cool way. It's a long way to go just to see a guy impaled by a Christmas tree. Yeah, but Agnes got like she got that like clear like to the face. Yeah, yeah, to the face. And yeah, like it ugh. was good. The defibrillator attacks and kills are one of my favorite things that I'm always looking for. Whenever a movie goes into a hospital, I'm like, oh, we better get a fucking defibrillator scene. Yeah, and like they just don't utilize it as much as, as yeah as much as they should. Also, the Black Christmas remake made me dive into how many people die each year from icicles. Do you have an average? Yes. Okay. Um, I, let's take let's well I, let me guess. Um, mm-hmm. fifteen. They actually that's exactly it. Fifteen people really? on average. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fifteen people on average die each year in the U.S. by icicles. Dear Creeperama listeners. <laughs> Stay fucking the fuck move. away! Stay the fuck away from icicles. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a, it's a cold year. Stay the fuck away from icicles. Yeah. Uh, apparently, in 2010, I found that five people died in Saint Petersburg, Russia, and 150 people were injured by icicles. What? Yes. In Russia? In Russia, in Saint Petersburg, Russia, 150 people in one year. What year? In 2010. 2010. Yeah. Look, I know Russia's weird, and I know Russia's a little behind on the times, but. Come on, we got to have better icicle safety technology by now. I mean, it kind of makes sense that in Russia, icicles attack you. Was the cage... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you fucking did it. You son of a bitch, you worked it in there. Uh, you motherfucker. Was the KGB just using them to kill people? Putin probably has... Nobody actually has a guy roaming around in your attic. Yeah, that'd be. Wouldn't that be a coincidence? I'm actually kind of, <laughs> actually kind of fucked me up for a second. <laughs> I was like, "Fuck, what if there is somebody?" Yeah, I think I, I might. Mean, go... I know there's not somebody in my attic. Is there? 